I think with AI, most business people don't realize how fast it's coming and how fast it's changing. I just think there's so much value in having a system for hiring, especially when you're a small business and you're just relying on your own intuition and your own schedule and time. When a business owner starts, they have some dream of what they want to accomplish. And the value of that business comes from their ability to identify, hire, and keep, and motivate people to help them on that. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. This is going to be the first one that I think we're going to have someone who really understands AI. So that'll be fun. Yeah, less stress, uh, more time, more money. More yeah. free time, yeah. more money. Well, I think with AI most business people don't realize how fast it's coming and how fast it's changing. We, yeah. we particularly use, use AI and we use the term AI, but it, we, we use machine learning, which is sort of a subset of AI and it's really just math, right? So multivariate yeah. regression analysis, those sort of things. And what we're using it for is to help uh, employers when they identify somebody pre-hire to know how they're going to do once they hire them. Okay. That, that's sort of the, the, the box that we live in for that. Gotcha. I really want to dive into whether you have to do that for each type of industry and develop learning. And we, and we do. So as an example, we're, we're developing a model right now for HVAC, plumbing, and electrical contractors specifically. And we're doing their high target roles like their dispatcher, uh, installer, uh, technician, that sort of thing. Perfect. Okay. Are your contractors uh, like general contractors? Or are they like specific niche, niche plumbing, HVAC, that sort Both. of thing? Yeah, Both. it's everything. Yeah, everything. General contractors, small HVAC, plumbing, electrical, building, remodeling, granite, yeah, yeah. all kinds. Yeah, perfect. Cool. So, so talking about the the AI models uh, would be interesting, and and then Martin, you had mentioned the five truths about humans, which I think really comes into. Uh, my book, The Sales Boss, and when you yeah. hire somebody, understanding how do you keep them motivated? How do you di diagno diagnose trouble that's going on with them? So I, I use the the title Sales Boss mostly because I hate sales management. Like nobody wants to hear I'm managing. But with I use the BOSS acronym for behavior, outlook, skills, and stature. So when you're diagnosing what's going wrong with somebody in my business, I say I always start with behavior. And what's normal, right? So if you think about um, somebody's body temperature, there's normal human body temperature, but there's also what's normal for Jonathan or Martin, right? And mm -hmm. and so you have to know that about your people. Has their behavior changed? Well, that you know, if if, if they're doing less of it, that could be a problem. The other mm -hmm. is if if behavior is the same, then we turn to outlook. What's going on in their head? How do they view themselves? How do they view the competition? What's going on with their family? Uh, I always say it's like, what's the voice in their head saying? And if that has changed, then oftentimes that's the place to start with trying to improve performance. And then sort of the last two things, skills and stature. So skills is that <clears throat> just what you think it would be. How do you do it? Right. And most businesses, when they're looking at diagnosing a problem with an employee, they actually start at the skill. And mm -hmm. they say, well, maybe I need to train them. Maybe I need. And rarely is it that the employee doesn't know how to do it there's something else going on that's it's either their behavior or their outlook, their heads somehow changed. If that makes sense. Perfect. I like that. Right. Less stress, more time, more money, more, more free time. 
yeah, more, more free, time. free time. No, I, because you can't create more time. But yeah, that's it. That's the whole deal. I only worked for someone about six months out of high school. Other than that, I've all, every check I've ever cashed is from a business that I'm I'm running. So wow. sometimes it's been just me. Sometimes it's been a large team, but I understand that stress. Yeah. Uh, and when you, Martin mentioned wearing a lot of hats and sometimes you're HR in the morning and then in the afternoon you're, you know, yeah. doing something else completely. Totally yep. live in that world. Yeah. Yep. And, but everybody thinks it's, you're your own boss. You set your own time. You take off whenever you want. You can make as much money as you want because you write the checks. <laughs> How wonderful. My first, my first company was a cleaning company. And I'd be out at night cleaning the toilets and the floors and everything else. And then I'd get back in the office and up during the day doing sales because I knew I didn't want to actually be doing the cleaning forever. And uh, someone would call with a complaint about the janitor from the night before. <laughs> and the janitor was me. So, I, yes, I'll be in there tonight and I'll have a good talking to him. It'll be no yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. It's so, I mean, you just really. I'm going to go fire myself. Yeah, well, that you should. That's the that's one of yeah. that we've had episodes on firing yourself. That's oh, it, there I'm you fired. go. That's it. I'm fired. <laughs> that's that's Love one it. of our. Uh, that's one of my clients wrote that. But that's it. I'm fired. That's it, man. I you know I was reading your uh, Jonathan. I was reading your bio that was sent over, um, and a couple things really stuck out to me. One was the the cult experience, uh, and then the other one was. The Camino de Santiago, is that what it is? Yeah, um, that's how you say it. Good job. In, uh, in southern France, northern Spain, which, what is the Camino de Santiago? What, what's the background on that? Is that a yeah, pilgrimage? So, yeah, it's a pilgrimage, and it was actually started as a way of doing penance. So if you were a criminal, um, you were sent, and, and it starts in St. jean Port in France, and you yeah. hike over the Pyrenees, and then you hike to the west coast of Spain. Uh, and it ends at a place called Finisterre, because it's the end, and you look out at the ocean. And so if you, if you were a criminal or you know, had some sort of sentence, then they would say, you have to hike the Camino, and there was a kind of shell that was only available on the beaches in Finisterre. So if you could make that journey and make it back with the shell, you were forgiven. And so, oh, so wait, did you go of, there and back? Or is it, no, that was just for criminals. No, I just, well, one, one way trip. One, one way trip. <laughs> so we've established two things here. One, you have not been forgiven. And <laughs> two, <laughs> that, that sounds like a business opportunity to me because hike over there and just bring home a barrel full of shells well, and meet, so meet Martin, people you, about you, halfway. You, you cut off the end of the story, and that's that's where buying and being able to pay for your penance sort of got started is you could uh, just buy, buy uh, shells. But over time, it transformed into more of a spiritual journey. So mm -hmm. people would hike the Camino and, and it, just as a spiritual uh, awakening. And the idea is, uh, and, and people still do this today, uh, if, if you're hiking traditionally the Camino, is that you don't book any of the places that you're going to stay, and you don't really look at a map. So as you're leaving St. jean Port, there's a church there where you can say your blessings and that sort of thing, if that's, if that's your thing. But the way is always marked by a splash of yellow paint. So wow. when you first walk out, there's a little splash of yellow paint on the sidewalk and you start walking that direction and pretty soon you, you feel lost. And if you just center yourself and you look, then there's a, you know, a telephone pole and there's a splash of paint on it. And so you hike that direction. 
and there's a splash of paint all the way along the way, and that, that's what they refer to as, is, as the way. And you can make this entire journey just by following these splashes of paint. Sometimes it'll be on a rock or a fence post. And so it really becomes just about walking uh, and being with your thoughts and not worrying about what am I going to eat or where am I going to sleep. And when you go into each town, um, the people that live across those, because you hike through quite a few small towns, um, they know that you're uh, a pilgrim. And so when you come through the town, if you look completely lost uh, or if you look like you're in pain because you're limping from walking so much, they'll literally just point you the right direction and, you know, no, that way, that way. And all of a sudden you're back on, on the path. So it's really kind of a, it, it's, it's a journey. I did it originally. We took a month to do it. And it was the first time as a business owner that I said, I'm going to take an entire month off. I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to check my email. And I had this panic that my business is going to fall apart. So I even told my clients, I'll be available. I'll check in every week when I, cause once a week I wanted to get a nice hotel and at least I would have access to a phone and everything. And without fail, every one of my clients were, said, it's not necessary. Don't worry about it. Uh, you've taken good care of us. Enjoy yourself. And the interesting thing is when I came back, my business actually grew from two things. One is that I had done the thing a lot of my clients wanted to do. Like They're like, I want to take a month off and I want to be refreshed. right? And, and also myself, I was re-energized. And I had this epiphany. And I, I'm sorry if I'm going on and on, but I had this, no, this epiphany when I'm hiking that journey, how much of our thought on a day-to-day basis just comes from things coming at us, emails, emergencies, phone calls, requests. And so for the first week I was there, I was still mentally processing all of those things. But at the end of about day seven, there was this quiet there wasn't anything else I hadn't really thought about that you know was urgent in the business or in my life. And so the second week, I started thinking of all these things that I had probably put out of my mind intentionally, like faults with myself or mm-hmm. things that you know that were really deep seated things that I needed to work on and that I had sort sort of avoided looking at myself in the mirror because I just stayed busy enough I didn't have to, right? Uh, and so a whole week of that went by, it almost drove me crazy. And then the third week was complete creativity. Like, in a, in a way, I can't express, like, just having sort of that space of time and the rhythm of walking and really allowed me to just, like, feel really creative. And then that fourth week uh, was actually what, that I felt, I don't even know that I need to go back. Like, business, what's that? <laughs> uh, and that was really... That was really freeing, realizing that I could have this identity away from what I what what I did as an identity for my job. Wow! Well, that's I would highly recommend it. Very powerful. I, that's on my bucket well, list. Well, I, I have you, to you ask a, really a, a pedestrian question here, but how did you sustain yourself? Where? How did you uh, eat? Uh, where did you sleep? How did that work yeah, out? So, yeah, so every town you go into, you know, there's little cafes that you can eat at. There's hostels there that cater to uh, the pilgrims that come through. So sometimes you're sleeping in a room and there's, you know, 30 other people sleeping on cots. Other times you can get like what we would consider maybe an Airbnb, you know, just staying yeah, right. in somebody's in, staying in somebody's homes. Others had hotels. Wow. Yeah. So, so you learn to just travel with what's with what's on your back, and, and and 
going into it, I thought, well, I'm going to, I also like to do long distance backpacking. So I was thinking, well, a month I've got to carry all of this stuff. So I brought a tent and I had, you know, extra food and extra clothing and almost every night it was like, okay, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. And you really get down to just what, and I think it's a good analogy for like shedding the unnecessary things. Even though I didn't start with that intention, I was like, why am I carrying this weight? Like if I really need that thing, there's probably somebody else that can lend me theirs or there's a shop here where I could buy what I need in the moment. Why, why am I worrying about what I'm going to need 400 miles and carry it 399 so I have it for that one mile? Wow. That's, there's so Excellent. many good analogies in business for that uh, and in obviously our spiritual lives. Um, yeah. I, I went through a lot of stages going through. It's probably the only time in my life in, inside of a 24-hour period, I went from this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. I have a really nice pool at home and I you know, just like cursing myself in my brain to this is the best day of my life. Why, <laughs> why have I put off? <laughs> and then right back around like that swing, wide swing of emotion, which is interesting yeah. as well. Man, so cool. That's, so Khalil, I, I Khalil, who who is this that that's we're talking? Yeah, to why don't you introduce yourself, here? Jonathan? We're going to talk about <laughs> a lot of different things today, and this this is going to be a fantastic episode. But why don't you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, I'm Jonathan. I'm Jonathan Wisman. Uh, I'm the author of the sales book, the, the Sales Boss. It's a book about building and organizing sales team. How do you keep people motivated? What technology to use for the team? How do you hire that team? Uh, And what I'm really passionate about is helping businesses build the team that's going to allow them to have the freedom and really match the size of the vision they have. So when a business owner starts, they have some dream of what they want to accomplish. And the value of that business comes from their ability to identify, hire, and keep and motivate people to help them on that. And so uh, I'm currently the CEO of Perception Predict. We're an AI company that builds prediction models that help companies hire great people. And we've been working with large enterprise organizations like Yex, like CrowdStrike, uh, helping them uh, identify good fit hires. And over the last 18 months, I'm excited because the technology has advanced enough that now we're being able to offer that to small, mid-sized businesses and uh, the people that I have a passion for, because that's sort of the way I came up. And we're able to help them really improve their odds of making sure they're getting somebody that'll thrive in the business. So that's a little bit about me. Man, that's so fascinating. So um, I think for our industry, for a lot of contractors, AI seems like something that you just do at the desk. Uh, It doesn't seem like something that's actually gonna help you build things uh, or get the job done. But obviously people do help us get the job done. And people is always a topic of conversation for us. Uh, There's a lot of sentiment around you can't hire good people anymore. There's a lot of sentiment around not trusting employees or not feeling like it's going to work out um, and just being frustrated with hiring in general. And I think you had mentioned before that you're building one of these models for an HVAC company. So I'd like to hear a little bit about the approach that you're, you're, you're doing for the AI uh, for the hiring process of the HVAC company and how that applies to our industry. Yeah, so we build, uh, I'll talk about the process of building what we call a performance fingerprint. Okay. And so it really comes from two kinds of data. And I'll start with saying when we talk about AI, people have all sorts of thoughts about what it is. And really, it's a new label for something that has existed for a very long time. It's just advanced mathematics. It's advanced pattern recognition. 
The only difference is our computing power has finally caught up that we're really able to do some crazy things that seem like magic. But at, at, if people can just remember, it's, it's basic math. So what we're doing when we build a performance fingerprint is we're doing a deep study of what's involved. Let's take an HVAC uh, technician as an example. What causes somebody to do, to do well in that role? So we're understanding the job. And then we're using psychographic data. We've built proprietary 450-ish items that we can measure reliably with an online instrument for humans. These are all research-based, research-validated things that, you know, some of the familiar ones that you might think of as like grit and determination and, you know, all of these things that are sort of core to who somebody is. So we get a population of people doing that job, actual technicians. So a thousand technicians doing the job every day. We gather that psychographic profile from them. So we have this really rich pool of what are the kinds of things that make up people that join and sign up to be an HVAC technician. And then on the other side, those companies give us performance data about those same technicians. So how long did they stay in the job? How long did it take them to ramp? What's their average ticket size? Um, how do they rate job quality? And we're feeding that into our engine. And really what we're looking for, it, 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 from a math standpoint, it's multivariate regression analysis. It's a big way to say, how much does this thing predict this thing over here? So if we're looking at grit, does grit uh, predict that ticket sizes will be uh, higher? Does grit predict that somebody will stick in the job? Is there a positive, negative? And so we're doing this thousands of times back and forth, and we're boiling it down to say, here are the eight to 10 items that actually matter and in this weighting. Mm. And, and so then we can- for a particular trade, it's not- Yeah, and that's for a particular- Universal. So we do it, yeah, so we do it for a particular trade, for a particular job. What we've done in the past is we do it within an, an individual company. I'll give you an example that's in the trades. If you know Tommy Mello, A1 Garage, he has hundreds of garage door technicians, and he was one of my clients under the sales boss. And so when I got involved with Perception, I said, hey, let's see if we can build something that will predict average ticket size for technicians and also what they call their TTL score, which is sort of customer satisfaction, callbacks, Googles. It's sort of a blended rating for quality. And so we built that model for him. Uh, and, and so that particular model is predicting average ticket size and their quality score for a garage door technician. Um, that's typically how we work. The problem is most small contractors don't have hundreds of people. They don't have hundreds of data points. Right. And so what we've been doing now is we're going out to industry associations and, uh, and groups of contractors, and we're doing that work ahead of time. We're getting them to come into our Pathfinders group uh, where they sign up to help us with the research. We're, we build that industry model for HVAC, plumbing technician, et cetera, dispatcher. And so your small contractor can now go online to uh, our, our SMB site, which is whohire.com. They can sign in with a credit card. They can do a 14-day trial, but they literally can access those models in their hiring process. And then we automate the entire hiring process with two-way intelligent text messaging, scheduling the appointment. So uh, I have a, one contractor who hired 10 people uh, inside of a week, and they didn't speak to a single candidate until that candidate was in their office. All of it was done for them, and it felt very human. And that's the power of using technology paired with a prediction model.
And so that's what is hire? Yeah, who hire? Who hire? Dot com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and that's our SMB product. Our big enterprise clients, yeah. you know, go to go to Perception because it's a different model. So, walk us through what it's like on the high, on the applicant side. Like, what is it? What does that process look like for them compared to a traditional hiring process? Yeah, in terms of interacting with the model, most candidates are used to having an online questionnaire of some sort, and that's exactly the same experience that we give them. It's always less than twenty minutes. Our shortest one is seven minutes. And it's okay. just a series of questions. That's it. So the is candidate it kind experience of like a quiz, is or is it like contact information? Uh, it's it's ranking things. So you might have a okay. series of words that you're going to rank. Uh, if you've ever taken an online personality test, yeah, it's that's very much like that. Okay. The difference is that we're less interested in personality, and it's sort of personality became sort of the hero thing people went to to use for understanding their employees. And and really, uh, personality profiles focus on two things, are, are introversion and extroversion, right? Are they outgoing or do they like to be by themselves? And sometimes they add a third thing, which is cognitive intelligence. Mm -hmm. The problem is science doesn't really support that those things are predictive of success. It just tells me this is how they're going to show up, right? Do they Are they going to be friendly? Are they going to pay attention to detail? But it doesn't tell me the quality of their work. How long will they stay with me? So functionally, Khalil, the, 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 the experience for the candidate is very similar to a behavior assessment. But what we're doing is we're, whoops, sorry, we're assessing all of, I can't, I can't use gestures and a microphone at the same time. The, uh, we're, we're assessing against things that we have research validated actually do predict for that role. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the other key difference is we're using actual performance data that has been garnered from the field from real people doing that job. And, and most assessments are sort of intellectually saying, what do I think is required for that job? Wow. And sometimes the results are surprising. I'll give you two examples uh, real quick. One we did for the cleaning. So we have a profile that predicts uh, cleaning quality and flight risk. Those are the two things that we uh, do for a home cleaner. Okay. And we created the profile for uh, home cleaners. And we actually, one of the things that we found is, uh, if you, let me ask you a question first. If you were hiring somebody and they're sitting across from you, how would you, if somebody's sincere, how would, how would you rate that as an employer thinking about hiring the person? Just how would I judge that, that they are sincere? Yeah, um, if, if they would, were really, if they, it, but if, if they were sincere, would that be a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion? Oh, gotcha. I think it would uh, be a good thing. I would think a good thing. Yeah, almost 100%, universally. They're sitting across from me. They're very sincere. They're forthright. I love this, right? So in, uh, if we're using our gut and intuition, we're actually ranking them higher and higher. Here's what the data suggests, is the more sincere a house cleaner is, the less time they spend in the role. They churn out quickly, and the quality of their work is less. Hmm. Very That's interesting. That's what science and data will tell you. Now, the next thing that happens, people go, well, why is that the case, right? Our our curiosity kicks in. And I, yeah. I always give this caveat, the why that's true doesn't really matter as much as it is true and it'll impact your outcome. But in talking to owners of cleaning services, when we asked them, does this ring true for you? In hindsight, they said, well, I wouldn't have ever thought about it that way. But what I do find is if somebody's really sincere, 
if they show up at the home and the homeowner is in a grouchy mood or they blame them for something that wasn't their fault, they take that really personal and it's hard for them to maintain that smiling disposition and keep, keep peace with the homeowner. Uh, and, and, and that's why we propose that they probably burn out with a higher sincerity level. But that's what, yeah, maybe they should be that's handling. That's the sort of insights we're getting to. Very interesting. So they need, they need more resiliency. Yeah, that, that's it. So, but it's not any one trait by itself. What we're trying sure. to look at is what is that blend of traits? So sincerity. Another example, large retailer thinks uh, like going in and somebody selling you uh, phones and laptops and that sort of thing in a retail environment. We created a profile for this particular company. I can't share their name uh, publicly like this because it was private work that we did for them. But they had a 50% turnover in that role. Hmm. And more than 50% of the people that stayed in the role were missing their target. And they had a really highly defined hiring process around two things. One was customer orientation. And the second was love of technology. And they, that's all their screening was around that. Their gut told them those were the right things, but they weren't getting the results they wanted. Yeah. We uh, evaluated their store executives against the data. We found zero correlation to customer orientation and success in the job. Wow. Doesn't mean that you don't want somebody to treat your customers right, but as a screening tool of, am I going to hire them? It wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the path that they should be looking at. More disturbing was the more somebody professed a love of technology, the poorer they did in the role. There was actually a negative correlation. So they were actually trusting their gut and saying, I'm going to hire somebody who loves technology, treat the customer right. And those two things were actually the things that were seeding high turnover in that role. And so they went from over 50% churn, churn in that role in that, in, in, inside of a two-month time period to under 10%. Wow. Just being able to hire correctly. And that has a massive impact because I think most of your contractors would suggest that if they can get somebody to stay six months, they can get them to stay a year. And if they stay a year, they're probably going to have them two years, right? If right. they have them two years, they're probably going to keep them 20. <laughs> like they're sort of increasing length of stay. And it's, it's really that early tenure churn that you're trying to identify. Yeah. So I think uh, I'd love to hear more about, you know, you've, you've talked about Sales Boss, your book, and uh, just sales team in general that you've helped over periods of time. I'd love to hear about that role for construction because I know so many contractors out there that have a salesperson and it doesn't work out or they, they just, there's so much churn in that role and they take the book of business with them and they, they have trouble trusting that person. So maybe talk to us about both the sales boss side of it, but even how you are helping with both of your companies on the enterprise side and the SMB side with finding the right salespeople. Yeah, so we, we create pr uh, prediction models for sales. So one, I would use those, but it's really everything that you wrap around the, the, the experience of hiring a salesperson. Hmm. And in my book, I take that entire process. So just the way that you, for instance, write a job ad. Many times, uh, especially in the trades, people will put a salesperson on commission. Right. And part of your job ad will say you can earn uh, up to X, right? 150,000 a year, 200,000. It's, it's, it's describing it as sort of you can be expected to earn. A slight tweak of language there really helps. If you say 
uh, you will earn $150,000 a year or we won't keep you. Because every job says you have unlimited earning potential. And candidates get tired of hearing that. A salesperson, if, if you say you're going to earn $150,000 a year, it's going to be a blend of base plus your commission, or we won't keep you, and your confidence that you know your metrics, you know how many leads you have coming in, you know what your conversion rate is, and you can tell a, a prospective salesperson that they will make that or you won't keep them, the competitor turns on in them. So normally when you're writing an ad, you're describing your company, the job, and I leave all of that out until the very end. The beginning of your post should be completely describing the person. So you're a leader, other people look up to you when you, right? And you're, you're describing that person in detail. Yeah. And when somebody reads that ad, they self-identify that that's me. Yeah. And I've had people apply to companies when we've rewritten their jo job ad like that and said, you, you, you describe me to a T, this is the, absolutely the job that I've got to have, right? And they're trying to yeah. convince you to hire. So, so, so that's, that's part of it. And then um, I teach a process in my book of having a pressure interview. Uh, so one of the very first things that you should have is you need, need to create an environment where you experience the person in the sales role, the sales mindset. But most business owners, especially small business owners, or if they've churned through a lot of salespeople, they almost come across like they're begging the salesperson to accept the job. If that makes sense, like the, the salesperson would be doing them a favor to come work for them. That mindset has to you 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 have to challenge uh, the the applicant enough that you see them try to win you over, just like they would have to in a sales call, right? Or 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 or, or trying to make this the sale. And so you need to craft mm -hmm. that into your pressure interview up front. The mindset I tell people to be in when they're interviewing is imagine that you have to write a $500,000 check the minute they walk out of this room if, you're, if you hire them. Wow. And treat it with that level of seriousness. Because what happens is, uh, especially a small business owner, they're really busy, they're wearing a lot of hats, they might forget they even have the interview coming. And so they run back to their office, they pick up the resume, they give it a brief reread, and then they sit down and they shoot from the hip. And they don't give it the seriousness they do if their largest client called them and said, I'm canceling today. They would 100% yeah. attention on that. They would be focused. Yeah. But hiring a salesperson that doesn't work out is just like losing your biggest customer. Mm. Because before they burn out, they touch a lot of your customers. They ruin some of those relationships and they also lose some of that business that could be your future best customer. So... When you're, when, when you're in a business and you're going to hire a salesperson, it should be all focus, all hands on deck. You have to get that decision right. Really important, if you only have two salespeople and one of them doesn't work out, that's 50% of your revenue at risk, revenue generation, right? When, once you got a team of 20, one person can be off. It's less of an impact, but you have to get it right when you have one or two salespeople. Yeah, I think especially with the sales rule, because oftentimes it is a maybe commission only or heavy commission, the business owner at times feels like if it doesn't work out, it's not a loss. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not paying the salary. I'm only paying on sales they make. And so they don't take it with as much seriousness. They're willing to hire a heartbeat, uh, that is at least professional, you know, like the standards are yeah. just so low. 
And I think you're right. Like that does really affect your company and even just the morale of your team around you, right? Yeah. And I, I also think that this is a, a mental shift that particularly contractors would need to make is I, I actually feel like it's immoral to pay 100% on commission and it kills your business. You are hmm. always going to be hiring somebody that is uh, not an A player to the level they could be. And I know I'm using very definitive words here. There's always the exception. I get that. But a great salesperson knows their value. And you should be willing to go in equal risk with them, right? They're, they're charting their life course with you. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be heavily weighted towards commission. That doesn't, doesn't, but the only reason a company wants to pay only strictly commission is because they don't have their process figured out. They can't, with confidence, say, here's what your conversion rate is. They can't consistently generate leads. That, that part of their business is broken. But if you're consistently generating leads, you have a good conversion understanding, then you can hire a salesperson, pay them well, uh, and, and they really should be the best paid person in the business. Mm. And, 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 and take that risk with them. But the reason you don't want to do that, A, you don't know your numbers, or you've gotten burned so many times. I've paid somebody for three, you know, four months, five months. I, when I hire a salesperson, I always have a drop dead date. So I'll say to him, Khalil, I'm going to hire you. I have 100% confidence that you're a great fit for this role, for our culture. I love what you're going to do, right? I'm going to butter him up. I'm going to say, I wouldn't make you the offer if I didn't think you were exactly 100% right for this role. But here's the deal. On day X, this is the expectation. You're going to have closed X number of business. You're going to have X number of leads or projects quoted. And if we mi miss that, date and that metric, I'm still going to love you, but I'm going to let you go. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be all right with that? And yeah. you just have to really clearly define what the drop dead date is. Otherwise, you'll continue to drag it out, drag it out. It also opens the door for communication right on the front end. One, it says to the salesperson, well, they're not messing around. They know their business, right? And the, re the way I explain that to the candidate is, look, if I let you be off by 10 or 20%, that's money that's being robbed from the business, which impacts what I can give in the community and what I can do for my employees. And I'm not going to allow that to happen. Like the gal said, sitting in the front office, shuffling the paperwork, doing invoices, I'm not going to have to let her go or lay her off because you didn't do your job a hundred percent. You can't, yeah. you, I can't have somebody that does the job 80%. And if you have that sort of really honest conversation on the front end, you'll find that people come in with a completely different mindset. Yeah, man. Yeah, so what good. you're talking about, we hit on a lot, and it's just clarity. Everybody's yep. clear. This and specific expectations. Not you got to do great in 90 days, or I'm done. They need to know what to do. Uh, Needs to be specifically. Really, yeah, very specifically, and. I, I have a standard when I'm work, working with clients and we're building a hiring process is that people have to sell from day one. They're not going to sit in HR. They're not going to do a bunch of, you know, get to know the company. The, the, if you're, let's think about fitness, right? If you're going to the gym every day and you're hyper fit and you're running, 
you don't want to take two weeks off. You're going to be out of shape. So if I'm hiring a superstar, I don't want to put them on a month-long learning tour of my company before they hit the ground running. they got to stay in shape. And so I've got to design some way, low risk, that right from day one, they're, they're doing the same activity that I hired them for. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, that's not an easy thing to get in place if you're not clear. You've got to have some processes down. And you've got to be able to have clarity that is easily understood by someone who can just come in day one and sell what you're offering. Um, I think yeah, it's, it's know, some things not, are easier. It's also not, yeah, you have to have it in place. But I also would say that that can seem like an insurmountable task to somebody that's already busy. And, yeah. and you can really put all of the things in play that you would need to hire a superstar salesperson from scratch in a two-week period. It just takes focus, maybe some guidance to doing that. Uh, people could reach out to me. We would help them do that. You can you know, get them the right tools in place. You just have to build the structure just like you do for every other part of your business. So I imagine any contractor sending someone out on a job has a checklist, a follow-up. They just have to put that level of detail into the, into the selling role. Yeah. Could you uh, just maybe expand just a little bit on something you talked about? Uh, give some pointers on how to write an attractive ad that attracts attractive people to an attractive job. You know, <laughs> not here's the wages, here's your duties. You must, you must, you must apply here. Um, because I think that's one place in the beginning people really fall down. And yeah. it might go back to the clarity thing. Yeah. In my book, I have actual uh, job Examples. postings showing it pre and post. And if somebody reaches out to me, I'm happy to send them templates, even if they didn't want to buy the book so that they could work from that. But fundamentally, the biggest shift is the opening where you are describing the person, not the company. Hmm. That's, it sounds really basic, but it, your eyes glaze over when you're reading job ads. But it, when you come across one that describes, so what, when I get into describing a person, I'm describing what stage are they at in their life and where are they going? So in my book, I talk about the truths about humans, right? That all, uh, and, and one of the truths that I lean on heavily is things are only good or bad by comparison. And what I mean by that is like when somebody's in a stage in their life, how they judge what good or great is, is by what they've experienced in the past. So, you know, when I got my first car, it was a piece of junk. And so when I would go rent a car, I would be like, man, this is great. You know, I could be renting a Geo Metro and I thought it was the greatest thing because it was better than my car, what I had experienced. You know, now 40 years later, I rent a car and it's never as good as the car, you know, that I'm accustomed to driving. It, our standards change. And so when you're writing that job ad, you really have to put on not the owner hat or the hiring manager's hat. You have to say what life stage is my ideal person at and what are they seeing is great and what are they seeing as the next thing so i start describing that person that this is a perfect opportunity for somebody to do xyz so that they can right and if i the better i can get at describing their future dream the the reason somebody will stick and stay in your company is if mm. they still believe that they can do their best work yet working for you yeah. the minute that's not true they're susceptible to changing jobs for just an incremental few dollars an hour raise, uh, one or 2% commission difference, because now it's just a job. But as long as, as long as they believe you're inspiring them to greatness, you're equipping them for something greater, they're going to stick with you. 
And so I just take that back to the job description. And most companies start with, I need, I need, I need, you must have. It, like, who wants to sign up for that? Yeah. Yeah. So job description one. And then, and then the market has changed. So you should be putting out plenty of content from your existing employees because they're going to check out your online presence and they're going to say, man, that place looks like uh, a prison sentence or those people <laughs> look happy. I, we're, we're, we're creating uh, this fingerprint uh, in our Pathfinders group for HVAC plumbing. So I've met with a lot of HVAC plumbing companies and I've been in a lot of them. And I've walked in one where the office is dingy uh, the magazines in the lobby are, you know, a, a year out of date. It just, it looks, you know, old. And then I walked into another one that looks like a high tech company, right? Brightly colored walls, slogans on the wall, uh, you know, clean. And, and if, if, if you can choose where to work, where are you going to work? Like your environment is speaking. So even though on, online you're maybe not pitching a future employee, it may not even be your, um, uh, an, employer t- an employee talking about the job, what's happening in the background, the way your office looks, the way your trucks look, that's communicating to perspective. We all have an identity, right? When we look in the mirror, we see ourselves a certain way. And if they don't see themselves, if they don't see you, your company, mirroring who they want to be, then they're going to have a problem with it. In my book for sales management, I say the same thing. If you're trying to bring somebody up in sales leadership uh, and you're unhealthy, right? And I'm not saying you have to be hyper fit, and, but if you're unhealthy, like clearly unhealthy, and every time they talk to you, you're talking about your stress and they can physically see you're beaten up. Why are they ever going to want your job? Why are they, you're giving them nothing to inspire, you know, to inspire them to stay in your company. Cause that's the next role, burnout and divorce and whatever else is going on in your life. Man. So interesting. Um, I've actually taken a lot of that. I, I think you've clarified what I've tried to do in a lot of job descriptions. Uh, and I've done that for some companies and it, it, you do get a higher level candidate just by having a more well-written job description. I've seen it firsthand. I'm sure you have much more data. And after all of your experiences, you saying that means a lot more than me saying it, but really cool to see. So whenever I hire, whenever I say, hey, you know what? This sounds great, Jonathan. I'm going to go to Who Hire and start using you. What does that process look like of actually using Who Hire and, and getting started? Yeah, so it's it's an easy sign up process. And we just, uh, it, it's sort of a, a new tool for us because we just acquired Who Hire uh, two months ago at this point. So oh, okay. So we had <laughs> nice. to... We, we, ha- we, had, we had to acquire that platform because all of the automations, like in our large enterprise companies, they're happy to just have the prediction model and they run inside their own ATS. But we found in some of the smaller businesses, they were still handling things in three or four sy- systems, right? So yeah. they might be doing the application process in one and the assessment in another. So we brought it all together. But the process is you sign up, we're going to ask you what are your top three high turnover roles? When you land in the platform, we will have written those job descriptions for you. Two weeks from now, we actually have the ability for uh, an AI model to, to, to write that about your company. That, that, that's, we're launching that in two weeks. Um, but you, 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 much like you're posting on Indeed, you're going to fill out the job requirements. Um, and and what, are your, what are your stages you want people to go through? So select the assessments that you want to use. Uh, and so then you'll, you'll have a job posting that, you, that we feed out to some of the job boards. You can also put it on your own job page. 
Okay. Uh, but we manage that in, entire process for you. So if you have a busy, uh, here's an offer that I'll make for your listeners. Okay. Uh, if they sign, if they sign, if they sign in, and it's a 14 day free trial, so they don't have anything to lose. Okay. If they sign up and then they just send me an email, John, J O N at who hire.com. I'll have one of my team members meet with them and set up the entire system for them to improve what they're currently doing or mirror what they're doing today. If they're happy with it. Okay. That way they don't have to learn a new software. They don't have to spend any time setting it up. We'll get it done for them, and then we'll give them a tour. And if they like it, they can start using it. Well, I think you're going to get some uh, – you probably get someone to take you up on that. i got a couple yeah. of people in well, mind. Well, that... they, they should because it will absolutely transform their business. Like wow. When you can here's, – here's, here, here's our vision for who hire. And I won't say we're 100% there today, but yeah. we certainly will be with, you know, with, with the end of the year. What I want to be able to enable for the SMB business owner is that because we, we all hear you should always be hiring, right? You don't want to lose an employee and then all of a sudden you're hustling. But mm-hmm. the reality is that pressure on a business owner is too much. So as soon as they fill their ranks, they sort of stop hiring. And, and they even keep mid-performers on the team because they can't imagine the, you know, the workload that goes into replacing them. And then, you know, sometimes the old saying, better the devil I have than, or that I know than the one I don't know. Yeah. What I want to enable for people is that we're constantly posting and reposting their jobs automatically. And we do that today in Who Hire. We take the job post down, we rewrite them and post them. It's automated. You don't have to touch it. I want to be able to do that and um, have candidates assessed and we're interacting with them in very human automated feeling text messages. We can do that today already. Uh, that, that allows them to only be notified when they have somebody that's applied that we are predicting is better than the middle person on their team today. Cause now if I'm a business owner, that's the interview that I want to take. Right. Yeah. So you could always be having your salesperson roll in your technician roles posted and all of it's happening, interviewing them, sending rejection letters, sending we'll call you later, right? Tidying it up so it's protecting your reputation as a, as a hiring entity in the community. But when you have that superstar that we're predicting is going to outperform everybody on your team, it'll alert you. And now all of a sudden you can pay attention, focus, you know, bring 100% of your energy to hiring that role, and then go back to your business. So that's the, the long-term vision of being able to do that. Wow. So I'd love to hear more on the business side of your actual business and, you know, what the structure looks like, how it looks like on the back end, all that kind of stuff and how you're growing. Cause you've got some pretty large competitors that I'm sure are going to want to dive into more of the AI side, uh, places like Indeed and ZipRecruiter and all that kind of stuff. Right. So what yeah, is the, it's, it's, it's a crowded marketplace for sure. Uh, and that's why we're, we're not setting ourselves up to be an ATS, right? An applicant tracking system. We do that mm-hmm. and we're going to be great at that just because we have to. But right. our, our focus is really around building per prediction models. And so right. we, we have IO psychologists on the team. We have ones we're contracted with that yeah, are that's what I was going to ask. Us, what does the team look like? Yeah, that they're, they're, they're helping us take the latest research and there's a lot of research around but most of it's done in universities and it ends up in really dry research papers and it's not actually put into practice and so we're actively monitoring the research that's being done and then we take that in-house 
and we say, how can we, cons- how can we c- construct, construct this in a useful way uh, for somebody to, 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 to put into their business? And so we're creating uh, assessments around particular traits based on the research. Then we have data scientists that are looking for how do we improve our data modeling uh, that goes, it, the, 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 the story around Perception Predict is actually a gr- really great story. When I came across them, I was uh, uh, keynoting at a conference in Florida on, for a sales conference. And uh, one of their salespeople came up to me and said, hey, I've got this tool I want to talk to you about because I had talked about assessments. And at the moment, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And I, I sort of brushed him off. He, by the way, he wasn't a great salesperson. But, the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I, you the, bought it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ultimately. So, you know, the, Martin, that's the number one error of a salesperson is they think they're great because somebody bought from them. Right. <laughs> Have you ever bought in spite of the salesperson? Frequently. Like Frequently. a lot of times, right? Like sometimes yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. could you just get out of my way so I could buy this thing? Yeah. Anyway, the, so when I got to talk to the owners, they, they a really great story. The, the gal that started it, uh, is from Taiwan, literally grew up in a rice paddy, no running water, no electricity, first of her family to go to college. She's a psychologist, data scientist, and has built an amazing uh, platform and really inspired me to get involved. Uh, So I came in as an equity partner. Uh, We relocated the company to be a U.S.-based company. Our team is uh, around the world, so our CFO is in Prague. So the, we're really an international team. We have international clients. Our, our, our platform for our main platform is in nine languages now. So we get a lot of data around those sort of things. But primarily the team, data scientists, IO psychologists, uh, and we're still a very lean team. And, and of course, our programmers to help you know, bring it all together. Mm. Very interesting. Just, to, just for kind of a point of clarification, uh, uh, Perception Predict, AI is uh, larger companies would come in and you would create something for them. Yeah, custom for them. So you know, if right. you have a, if you're an enterprise company and you have a thousand people doing a job, we're going to come in and build you a precise model okay. uh, specific to your company, you, not just to an industry. Yeah, specific to your company. It's not an industry model. Yeah, because we have enough data, right? And the the value of a company specific model is you can get really granular because now you're picking up on the culture of that company. So yeah. you, you've probably been inside a dysfunctional company and there's been star employees inside a dysfunctional company. They operate well in that role. So our models will pick up on that and say, let's find people that can operate in what is that culture for that company. So that's the advantage. And we're doing that in home services as, as well. They're starting with the industry model. And then as they have 100 technicians, they'll reach out to us and say, hey, could we uh, adapt this model or augment this model to bring in and be precise for our company? And so then, then we do that work with them. But it's a m- much more expensive uh, engagement and a lot, a lot more work, but certainly worth doing. And, and in contrast, uh, uh, Perception Predict, who hire is not as custom. It's industry specific and smaller people can come in and take advantage of that. Yeah, any, be working with industry specific data, but yeah, not that's company right. necessarily. Okay. That's right. And so uh, as we get more participants, so the models aren't static. So we're always refreshing those models because mm-hmm. selling environment changes, that sort of thing. As an example, one of our enterprise customers in their uh, mid market role, when we, when we went through COVID, 
they started completely selling, you know, as everyone did over Zoom or digitally. Uh, and that model for who they needed to hire changed by more than 70 percent. And so you can imagine as a hiring manager, they were still going along, sort of looking for the same thing, evaluating the same thing. But the data suggested they needed to radically alter the kind of person that they were looking for. So even in our SMB platform, HVAC, plumbing, we're going to be continuing to refine those models. And as we get more users of the platform and more data, we start segmenting that by size of company. So if you were a contractor and you're a $10 million contractor, you're going to have a different family of fingerprints than somebody that's maybe a $2 million contractor. Because there's a belief that we have supported by data that the kind of company is different at 2 million than 10 million than 20 million. And the kind of people that do well in those companies are sometimes also different. So we want to pick up on that, but that'll just be, you know, as we get more data, we can be more granular. And in cases where we don't have a fingerprint, we do have some uh, assessments that you can use that, or more traditional that'll help you around certain traits like grit, uh, personality, that sort of thing. I'm kind of changing the subject here. I don't know Perfect. that you went through it, but you brought it up. The five truths about humans that unlock, uh, you know, job performance. Yeah, uh, I'll give them. I, can we go through those? Have we got time to talk about that? Yeah, I'll give you the, I'll give you the quick version. So that one we've already talked about, things are only good or bad by comparison. Hmm. Right. So if you're a business owner, the truth is you have to understand how does your team define great. But more important than than for your team, you have to know for Ricardo, for Tim, for Paul, for Nancy, right, for Mary, what how did they get their definition of great? What's a great you know, what's great performance? What you know, what is quality? We, we all have a standard. And so if you're going to be successful in leading people, you have to know where did they get their standard of great. You can make your job easier by, one, hiring people whose standard of great is equal to yours or what you're going to need in the job. But you definitely have to know how they got it. Like, and, and some of that you know, comes from how we grew up. Where did we grow up? I remember the first time I walked into a home that was more than 6,000 square feet. I thought I had walked into a castle, right? It's just because I just hadn't been exposed to it. I grew up, you know, very low income. It just, I, it, it, it wasn't a world I lived in. And we have to appreciate where did our employees come from and what is great to them. So you can have a, like, if you're a cleaning company, you could have a standard of clean and your employee might just, they, they might think something is really clean that you view as dirty, just inherently based on where they came from. Like, what did they grow up with as a standard of clean? So in every aspect of performance, good or bad by comparison, got to know what it is for individual employees. Um, I remember uh, hearkening back to the cult days. I knocked on thousands of doors trying to convert people for religion. I won't do that today. I'm past it. But I walked (laughs) up to this, uh, I walked into this trailer park, and there was this dingy, wore down trailer. I mean, the door was paper thin. The windows were broke, dirt yard. Uh, and, and I grew up poor and this looked really poor. And I remember thinking in my mind, this person has to be completely miserable. And so I knock on the door and the door just sort of, you know, almost falls apart. And the lady answers the door and I say, say, how are you doing? And I'm expecting, you know, this is going to be something negative. And she starts crying and she says, I am so grateful. I finally have a yard for my kids to play in and I got out. And she goes on and on. This is the best thing 
And I felt like a heel. But it was a powerful lesson to me. Things are only good or bad by comparison. And, and she was judging that world that she was in by the world that she had come from and what she had escaped. And your employees are exactly like that. So you want to keep an employee good or bad by comparison, know what they're comparing it to. I, uh, 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 an error many business owners make is it's been so long since they've been in that role, they forget what it's like to be there, or maybe they've never been there, right? They, 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 they've never lived the life their, their person has. Truth number two, people are already giving 100% of what they believe they're capable of, or they have a reason they believe is valid for not doing so. And most business owners, right, they'll label people and say they're, they're, they're lazy or they're, you know, you can't find good help. The truth is people are already giving you 100% of what they're capable of or they have a valid reason for not doing so. Valid to them doesn't mean it's, you know, universally valid. But they can say, hey, the, the company just doesn't, you know, they don't pay well enough. Good quality work well, goes the, the one I The one I hear all the time nowadays is work-life balance. And uh, they, yep. that's, that's a higher uh, priority than the money and the work. Yeah, yeah. So not, not universally, but a lot of it. Yeah. And so I, I, I challenge business owners, to, when, when they're having a performance issue with somebody, if they start with the belief, this person's giving me 100% of what they're capable of, or they have a valid reason for not doing so. So it's either a training issue or like they're just not capable of it, or there's something going on where they're letting themselves off the hook, right? You can see this in, if you take it outside of the business world, you can have uh, people who say, hey, I'm a great husband, I'm a great father, uh, but they can, you know, they can miss their wife's anniversary, they cannot show up their kid's soccer game, and they let themselves off the hook. They have a valid reason. Well, I'm working really hard because I need to be the provider, and I, your employees do the same thing. They're letting themselves off the hook, giving you 100% for a reason that feels valid to them. So you just have to figure out what that is. And, you know, those two, good or bad by comparison, and people are giving you 100%, those very closely related. The third thing, uh, truth, is that people love autopilot. Mm. They love autopilot. Think about you're, you're driving somewhere, you get home from the airport, you can drive all the way home, you're not even thinking about, you know, the... The, the light you stopped at, the traffic next to you, and somehow you get there safely. And our employees, people get on autopilot. And so your customer success rep, they're answering the phone on autopilot. They're not even really thinking about you, you know, what it is they're saying. They're answering emails on autopilot. Sometimes you as the owner are interacting in a very mechanical, structured way with your employees. You're not going to overcome that, but you can use it to your benefit. If People love autopilot. Use systems thinking to how can I design this so that the autopilot response, like what they do on autopilot, is actually what I need them to do. And then second to that, when, I, when it's important they come off of autopilot, how do I get them to do that? So when you have all your employees come into a meeting, I guarantee you many of them are on autopilot. They've sat through this weekly meeting a lot of weeks, and they're probably checked out but you could use some system design to make them come off autopilot. Maybe I'm changing locations. I have music playing that I didn't have playing last time. I have food this time. I had, you have to switch it up so that they're off autopilot. Something's different, right? It's, the, uh, it's, it, it, it's a way of thinking about your business. We always think about automating processes, but think about automating people. 
because people love autopilot. And, um, and, and familiarity is what causes uh, autopilot. The, the think about, though, if you are doing that familiar drive, right, home from the airport, you're on autopilot, and all of a sudden a police officer lights are in the, behind you, what, what happens? You're off, yeah, you come off, off autopilot. autopilot. And now you can't hardly hold your speed and things that were natural. And so but you can create in things like that, not in a judgment way with your employees, but you can create moments. The reason you come off autopilot is because even though you think you're a great driver, now somebody's in a position to judge how you're doing. And there's a yeah. consequence related to it. And so you can create that inside of your, com- your company without being a police officer where people know they have to come off of autopilot. So as an example for sales team meetings, uh, I have a ritual in every company I've ever run, which is when we start the sales meeting, every, nobody says start. The person to my right, they have a check-in. It's scripted. Uh, I had X number of calls this week. I closed X dollars of business. Uh, I had committed to this. I'm this far ahead or behind my, my quota. And we go all the way around the room. As the leader, I don't say, hey, that's a great, you had a great week, or hey, you need to pick it up. There's no comment on that. What does that do? Well, one, they have to show up and they have to know their numbers, which is really important, right? If you don't know your numbers, you're not going to be successful. But second, people are intuitive enough. They know as they're going around the room, they're like, well, I might suck, but I don't suck that bad <laughs> compared to him. And, and they also hear, uh, you know, they, they also hear what the other person's doing. So that when they've been letting themselves off the hook that, hey, he just got lucky on this deal or he closed more business or she did this. They actually hear all of the work that went into it, how many calls they made, how many follow-ups, how many quotes are in the system, good or bad by comparison, right? They're, like they're, they're definitely coming off an a- a- autopilot in that meeting because they're a little uncomfortable. They're coming to confession. But the way I keep it from being judgmental is I'm absolutely forbid myself as the leader from making any comment. It's not good or bad, it just is. And we can deal with what's, what is, if that makes sense. Oh, really powerful. Sure. If you don't have a, a rhythm check-in, I, in my book I call sacred rhythms. That's one of my sacred rhythms. It's, we yeah. never change it, right? It, it happens every time. You know it's going to happen. And your team won't fight sacred rhythms. What they'll fight is when you all of a sudden put something in place that didn't used to be there. But once it, once it becomes a rhythm, they just get used to it. New employees come in, they go, oh, that's just the way it is. We check in our numbers. It's not meant to humiliate me. But that's this how we get better, right? Yeah. And then the uh, number four is people need to belong. Mm. And notice I'm saying they need to belong, not that they want to belong. They need to belong. And so you have to find a way to make them belong. How do people belong? One is sacred rhythms. So when you finally get into a group and you sort of know what's coming next and right, you know the tune, like all of a sudden you feel like you b- belong. Also insider language. So when you get into an industry and you know all their acronyms and you know there's this insider languages, religion's really good about that. Insider language tells people they belong. So as an example, you could name your conference rooms different you know, names and people will come in the first time they, they have no idea why the meeting's named that way or the room's named that way. They're going to ask somebody, somebody's going to tell them the story, oh, that was after our founder that did X, Y, Z, and now they feel like they're an insider because they you know, they know the history or they, they know, know the why. stories, yeah. the, they, they become a part of it. Another way is rituals. So if you have rituals... 
that makes people belong. Think about when you go to Thanksgiving dinner with your family, if you do that, right? There's a ritual, like there's always yeah. the person that does this and there's the person that takes this and you instantly come in and you may not have seen them for months and you automatically, you know, like, you know, so what are the rituals you're going to have in your organization? The one I gave you about checking at a meeting, that's a ritual for us. We just do it. It's uh, always happens, right? Um, so, so people are used to that. And people will change their behavior based upon needing to belong. And you're, you and I are the same way. Think about two different restrooms that you might go into. I bet you didn't think we'd talk about restrooms. <laughs> but if you go into a nice restaurant... Uh, and you know, the napkins are piled up high, everything's polished surface is there. Maybe there's even a, you know, a guy standing there handing out mints and you wash your hands in that sink. You don't even think about like shaking your hands off. Right. And sh shooting for the wastebasket or like you wipe it down. Cause it's all nice and neat like that, that, but you go to a stadium bathroom sports game, right? It's messy you have no problem shaking your hands off in that sink and trying to make the three-point shot for the wastebasket. And if it doesn't make it, well, you know, maybe I will or won't pick it up. We just shift, right? And so when people come into your business, they need to belong. If your office is dirty and, and you allow people to show up late, like they, they are, they're going to, even your superstar is going to shift. And, and so you need to forensically go into your business and say, what standard am I setting? What, if, if people have to do substandard work in order to fit in, that's what they're going to do. They're going to feel pressured by the other technicians mm -hmm. not to show them up, not to make them look bad. So you have to have a culture where to fit in, you have to be striving for excellence. Like if you, if you have an office environment where health and fitness and self-improvement is sort of the tone and that's why people showed up because you wrote a great ad that describe, describe that. When people show up, they have to see that. And then the, the, they're, they're going to, if, if they're not there, they're going to start being there. If you ask somebody every yeah, week, hey, what book what did, did you I read mean? this week? Yeah. They're probably going to say, oh, I didn't read a book. You ask them that six weeks in a row, eventually they're going to read a book because they're tired of saying they don't read. And then the final one's really easy, is the only reason that matters are their reasons. Mm. And almost always as an owner, we come from it for our, for our reasons. And every conversation coaching has to come from their reasons. Like, why did you take this job? What are you dreaming of? What do you want to do? Tommy Mello does really good at this. He, he was my, both my client. Uh, now he's an investor in our company as well. Uh, and he does really good job at helping people. He actually hires a dream manager that meets with his employees and finds out what do they want to accomplish. So if they want to buy a home, he helps them with that, helps them get the credit coaching they need, helps them set up a savings plan, checks in with them to make sure that's happening. If they want to get some credential, he's going to help them do that. If he wants to take their family on the vacation. But by approaching that that way, he has made his people bulletproof from getting picked off by competition. Hmm. It's just not going to you happen. You know, that number five, the only reason that matters is theirs, 100%, 100%. And the other most interesting thing that you've said so far that maybe we have you on again and talk about it, but uh, they give you 100% or they have a reason why they don't. My issue with lots of people I talk to is a lot of times people have reasons that they don't. I'll give you a, an example in a Facebook group in, a, in an industry that I'm familiar with. Somebody was on there saying, new person, recent college graduate, I don't like. 40 hours, what's with 40 hours? 
I only want to work 32. They, that's literally what they said. And the response to that just went on for pages and pages in support. Right? So in the practicality of it, that's what matters. It's their their view of the world. Why did they uh, want to work 32? So here's what a skilled leader. Oh, good. Here's, okay. Yeah, here's what a skilled leader would do. Um, one, you, you have a standard for your company. So if it's 40 hours, yeah. it's 40 hours. So I'm not suggesting you necessarily shift your company. But what I'd be more interested in is why 32 hours? I mean, yeah. why not 24 hours? Why not eight hours? Hey, right? And, but every question wanna, you're asking, oh, go ahead. I want to engage in that conversation because they have a reason why 32 hours seems good to them. Uh, and frankly, if I was a business owner and somebody wanted to work 32 hours, I'd let them work 32 hours, but I would understand their reason why. And I would understand, and they would have to understand that they need to deliver to me the results that I need out of that position. Time is irre irrelevant for most positions. Yeah. And if, if, if I need to pay them less and they only work 32 hours, but they outperform all my, you know, low performers, yeah. I'm actually pretty happy yeah. with that. I yeah. think employers yeah. of the future, especially are going to have to be flexible. And this isn't because, um, you know, people say, you know, this generation doesn't want to work. It's not true. The generation, this generation works really hard and they're really smart. They just don't want to work for you. They don't want to be you. They don't want to see their life. They don't see their life path the way you saw your life path. So you got to get over it as an employer. If you want great performance, like when they're passionate about something, they're going to work endlessly and hard, hard for it. The challenge is they're just not passionate and you're not tapping into the, that, that passion for you. That's your job. You're asking them to build your business. And, and the, the more traditional mindset is that they should be grateful they have a job. In principle, I would agree with that. But that's no longer the truth. I mean, they get online nonstop and they're bombarded with work for yourself and have a side hustle and do this. And, you know, th th that, that mental makeup of where they came from is completely different. That, you know, that's where you go into things are only good or bad by comparison. In this case, the employer is calling that bad because they're comparing it to what they were used to when people were willing to work 60 hours and the job was the only thing. But that, that is no longer the reality for people. Uh, I'm I'm 100% with you on that, and although I'm an older person, <laughs> I'm open. I mean, I want to understand. Yeah. Um, where we bump up against it is, you said as long as they perform in 32 hours, okay, great. Well, there are jobs that require the presence of a person. Yeah, so that job wouldn't be for them. I'll right. just have a frank oh, yeah. conversation. This job isn't for you. It's a 40-hour job, and here's the reason why. I mean, look, I'm, I can't accommodate you, like... I have a help desk, right, or a CSR role where we have to answer the phone for forty hours. Right, like, got, that's the job. Be like, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there might, are others for consider, that. I, I might consider, though, e even in a job like that, is there a way that I could design the team where people that wanted to work sixty hours a week could work sixty hours a week, and those that wanted to work thirty-two worked thirty-two? Like at the end of the day, when you when you're trying to get the best people and you're trying to have them stick with you the longest, that mental flexibility of thinking through how to make that happen becomes really important. You, you're seeing companies have this with people saying, I only want to work from home. I don't want to come back to the office. And they're sort of rigid in that. You could say, you know, screw it. You got to come into the office. Or you're not going to work for me. That's one approach. I would suggest you're going to have a wider access to talent if you're willing to at least have the conversation about how do I construct this in a way that 
because then because then once you've done that, that em, uh, employee doesn't easily want to go somewhere else because they realize that you care about what their life looks like. Right. Right. right? So like I have an employee now that is re- she's really my right arm does, you know, checks my email, scheduled this call like I, I can hardly live without her uh without being overwhelmed she's on a three-day vacation she messaged me last night and said hey i can in the morning and evenings get this organized for you which i which i would love but my response to her was absolutely not i'm going to manage your on vacation i know i'm going to suffer the next three days like he's going to be hard <laughs> however the payoff for her and our relationship is going to be way better because I was willing to take the punch instead of rob that time from her. I can never, I can never have my quality of life be more important to me than the quality of life of my people. Like if I'm going to ask my people to build the company of my dreams, I've got to serve them. Yeah. That's a big servant leadership approach. And it's, uh, it definitely requires some intentionality around your approach, which does, which doesn't mean you can't have standards. No, absolutely. Like you can have really hard standards and say, you don't belong here. I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm with you on that. And I call that uh, alignment, you know, so yeah. that, that, that everybody is, is seeking their own goals. They, they accomplish a common goal. And I know there are people listening uh, and I'm dealing with it with different people is finding that, okay, 32 hours, but you have to accomplish this. Yeah. Well, if it's an objective, yes, this, you, you can do it. You can measure it. You fell short. You exceeded whatever. Sometimes it, I need you to generate prospects and be present and work with these people and 32 hours doesn't cut it. Yeah. And, to- totally agree and, with that. And you say, Hey, okay, 32 hour person, you, you're not eligible, but we're seeing, I'm, I have a particular business in mind yeah, and mm-hmm. it's harder and harder to get them. But there are business realities that we have to pay the bills here. Yeah, makes and sense. And it requires this much FaceTime in the yeah. bit, what I'm thinking about to do that. And, and boy, and, it's it, I got to tell you, sometimes uh, I hope nobody on that side will be listening, but <laughs> I get I, I get mad. I mean, yeah. I don't not in present, but I, yeah. I get angered. I have other clients that go, you know, you need to get over that, and they're right. <laughs> I I to be. To help my clients, we need to find a way to work around it that accomplishes both. Yeah. That's, but that, that's it, the burden seems to always be on us. It, well, it is because you know, you're the I, one. You've got to figure business. out how to make me happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That it, the, uh, the, the sort of employee I want to hire is somebody that I, that I call a happy discontent. And what I mean by yeah. that is they're, general, they're genuinely happy people. But they're always discontent with where they're at. Like they sort of want to grow. They like they know they their best is yet ahead of them. I don't want somebody that's discontent all the time. But I want them to have that nice balance of yeah. happy discontent. I I I tend to think of a company uh, that's run well as sort of like a jazz club. And it's just because I like jazz m- music. Mm-hmm. But if you if you walk past a jazz club, you can be not even in the mood, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, it sounds good. I mean, as you walk in, right, and is imagine not being in the mood. Pretty soon you're going to find yourself like tapping your foot and then, you know, oh, I guess I'll have one drink. And, and, and that's how your business has to be is that it sort of draws people in. And even if they're not in the mood, all of a sudden they're sort of moving to the beat and they're like, it just sort of infects them. Now, when you think about the, the jazz musicians, they're famous for having visiting musicians. Uh, and when you have a visiting musician, 
they riffed over the top of all of the other music and then they land right in cadence with the beat. And that's sort of what we want employees to do. We want them to come in and be, you know, their creative, crazy, you know, inspired them and then still be able to land and beat with the music with our company. The only way they can do that is if you have the beats in your company, they can count on them. We got our weekly meeting. It runs just like this. We have a standard we meet that has to be like this. And we've got, so that's your bump, 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 right? Now they can do all the other stuff they want to do and that I want them to do, creativity, they just got to land in the beat so it sounds good, right? Because when it sounds good, we retain people. When it sounds good, we're able to sell. People want to join us. So I always, like, are, are, we, are we a great jazz band or are we a high school band? That's <laughs> my question when I go into a business. And unfortunately, most businesses sound like a high school band. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Man, so much, wow. such a wealth of knowledge here. I think, you know, for a lot of our listeners, I think about what's most valuable to them from this conversation. There's really great approaches to the hiring, and I think they should absolutely pick up your uh, your book. But I really do think that your whohire.com is something they should visit and at least consider, because for most people that I that I work with, they don't really have a hiring process. Uh, part of that's because they're not hiring that often. They're, they're small enough to where they're hiring once a month, if that. And I think what's really great about who hire, just from reading, I was, I was looking at it and I have pulled up here, looking at the features that you're providing. And so much of this is they're actually also buying a system. They're not just buying a service, but it's a system for their hiring that they don't have in place currently. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And it'll automate it. And if I could add to that, yeah, if people sign up, sign up. Email me, john at whohire.com. Uh, I'll have my team set it up for them so they don't have to mess with it, don't have to figure it out. Uh, we'll, we'll get that done for them because they don't have time bandwidth. Uh, and if, if they tell me they came from your show, uh, I'll personally be willing to get on with them. I'll spend an hour with them on whatever topic they want in terms of improving their hiring process. And that, wow. that'll cost them absolutely nothing. That's great. Yeah. I mean, everything from like writing the job description, getting it out there and distributing it, you know, doing the, the assessment and the interview scoring, helping uh, select the right candidates to interview, uh, doing even an asynchronous inter interview. I, I see this on here. Maybe explain what that is for yeah. listeners. Yeah. Asynchronous interviews are great because uh, what you do is you preset a couple of questions. So maybe there are three questions you're going to do the candidate's going to get a link via text usually, right? Because that's where people live nowadays. On their phone. And they're just going to click the link. It'll have a short video from you or an explanation saying, hey, to keep the process moving, if you can answer these three questions, it'll allow us to get back to you more quickly. They literally hit record. It shows them the question. You set how much time you want the candidate to be able to think about the question how many retakes you want them to be able to have. Like it could be, you got to get it in one shot, right? Or they can take as many times as they want. Um, and then they'll, so they literally just go through those questions. When they're done, you get that in your interface. And so you can, you know, see and experience that person before you commit to spending a lot of time with them. And when you're time pressured, yeah. I've had clients that know within the first five minutes they're not going to hire this person and out of kindness they spend an entire hour with them yeah and so this just gives you one opportunity to sort of hear them and you know see them are they the sort of person in that and our guts are usually pretty good 
in that aspect. They're not always great in the whole hiring process. But that gut feel of, is this somebody that would do well in our company to, you know, working with our, our customers? Yeah. Uh, and that allows you to do it. So they literally can do that any, any time when you, when you log in, it'll say you have five to review. I want to get to the point where we act, we're actually offering a service where we have a team that's just scoring those according to, to how our clients uh, want to do it. But that's somewhere down in the, in the future. But you have applied AI in scoring videos and and it's an area we don't want to do for a reason is because it's, it's highly biased. So it'll pick up on and rate things that really shouldn't be taken into consideration in the hiring process. So you sort of have to have a human in the loop there, even though <laughs> humans are biased, but I'm sure there's ways we can improve that for our customers and we're working on it. Well, I just think there's so much value in having a system for hiring, especially when you're a small business and you're just, relying on your own intuition and your own schedule and time to verify. I mean, I love that analogy that you gave of just going into a hiring for a salesperson, like you're going to walk out of this interview writing a $500,000 check from your company. Uh, you'll take it a lot more serious. And I, yeah, such a good uh, approach and perspective to have when you go into hiring. Um, man, so we've talked about whohire.com. Uh, that's probably where most of our listeners would approach you. Yeah, I think what, that's the place to spend your time. Yeah, and then you've also said your email, J-O-N at whohire.com, W-H-O-H-I-R-E.com. Uh, and you've given a, a fantastic offer for our audience. We'll leave that in the show notes for everyone. I think people should probably pick up your book too. I'm sure in the book you're talking about these five behaviors that we've already listed out, right? Yeah, it's it's designed around, you know, if from the perspective of somebody taking over a sales team. Sure. Uh, but I've heard repeatedly that it applies to all roles in leading a team. Um, certainly there's a section on uh, writing the, the job descriptions, uh, how to handle each of the interview stages. So I have a romance interview, a pressure interview, a performance <laughs> interview, and they all, they all mean something very different. Uh, even to how do we write the email when we're inviting them to the job? Like it matters. Like every little thing is a clue that's communicating something to, you know, to the applicant. So we do that. But then also, how do you structure your meetings? How do you title your meetings? How do you, how do you coach somebody whose performance is not up to par? How do yeah. you set your boundaries? Um, so I, th I think regardless, if you're thinking of hiring sales or just you're in that hiring and running a business, it's a, it would be a great read for you. Okay. And that can be purchased on Amazon? Amazon, yes. Is there an audiobook? Uh, there is an audiobook, so you can get that as well. Okay, perfect. We'll put links to all of those. I know a lot of our listeners like the audiobooks, so we'll uh, we'll put that in the show notes. So, man, Jonathan, really appreciate God, your time. Thank you. Yeah, this has been yeah enjoyed uh, visiting with you both. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for being on the hey, show. Enjoy the 118 degrees out in Phoenix. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm. I'm. I, they say it's going to cool down next week. We're not going to get over 109. Oh, oh there my you gosh. go. Man, hey, play golf. <laughs> all right thanks thanks for listening to the cash flow contractor check out our website in the show notes or visit the cashflowcontractor.com 